All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. All right, kids. You, you ready, Laia? Uh-huh. <laughs> you ready, Laia? Uh-huh. Everything's rolling, Laia. So Let's go. Here we go, Laia. Jump so in the pool. Ready. Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. Here we go. Suprema, sa, sa, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, sa, sa, Suprema, roll call. Suprema, sa, sa, Suprema, roll call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. My name is Questlove. Yeah. And you are you. Yeah. And that's Team Supreme. Yeah. And he's 42. Roll Call. (laughs) Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. And I'm going to keep it raw. Yeah. With the realest president yeah. out of Arkansas. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. First pres I ever met. Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me. Yeah. I haven't filed my taxes yet. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. And I got to thinking yeah. about my second favorite bill, yeah. President Clinton. Roll call, <laughs> Suprema, 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 roll call. It's Laia, yeah. and it's a special day. Yeah. Our first soulful press, yeah. Bill Clinton all day. Roll call, Suprema, Suprema, roll call, Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I know the drill. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Cause music is dear. Roll call. We'll take it. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> we have our first. <laughs> 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 Mama, we made right. it. 
Here we go. Boo, 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 boo. I will say it's it's a <laughs> wait. We just doing Griselda. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey yo. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's amazing how the world works sometimes. Uh, <laughs> for no particular reason, you know, we we've been away from each other for three years and decided, hey, it might be cool for us to get back together and do some stuff in person. And then life throws you a curveball. And I will say probably no less than 24 hours ago, we got a call. Straight up. And I'll be honest with you, because I was preparing for another guest. (laughs) And right before I went to sleep last night, I read my itinerary. I'm like, wait a minute. That's tomorrow? <laughs> exactly. I thought that was like in the future. Because when you threw it at me, I was like, ah, this will never happen. So like. No, we all were. Like, what, February 30th of, of <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1976, like that's going to happen. I will be saying, yeah, this this is happening. And our guest today is the very first time that. You're nervous. <laughs> Yo, this is. Yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. Yo, yeah. That's the first. Yeah. Yeah. I, the very first time I stepped in a, uh, a voter booth to exercise all of us, my all yeah. of us, right. Our first president we voted for. You were of yes. age the second time. I wasn't. Oh, the second time. <clears throat> Wait, how? I don't think. So. I don't know what your age is, unpaid bill. I am eighty-six years old. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, sometimes you seem younger than me. Then when you have a beard, I, <laughs> then I look know. like your accountant. Right. Exactly. Got it. So I don't know how old you are, but you know, my I, first vote was for Dukakis. Believe it or not. <laughs> That's how old you are. <laughs> That's how old you are. Just got the okay. thumbs up. Dukakis. Um. Anyway, live in CDM Studios yeah. is where we are, yeah. and we are very honored to have music lover, musician, yes. uh, and incidentally, uh, the forty second president of these United <laughs> States, William Jefferson Clinton, yes. on the Questlove Supreme yes, Show. Thank you. Bang bang. What is happening? So how are you today? I'm good. I'm better now. This is I didn't find out about this much before you did. <laughs> right. You were like an hour before. Oh, let's let's sit down. Just a casual question. Like what what did you do this morning? Like what's your morning routine like as of lately? Well, lately I get up in the morning and I read the papers. Mm-hmm. I'm old fashioned, I still read the papers. And then I <laughs> get my phone and I read the papers I didn't read. <laughs> okay. I read, I read my local Westchester County paper and the New York Times. In paper, then I read the Washington Post online, and then I look and see what other articles there are, and then I work puzzles for a while because it's good. For, like I do that word puzzle in the New York Times every day. Are you a Wordle person or a New York Times crossword person? Or a no, I don't do. I only do the crossword on Sunday. Okay, but I do Wordle. <laughs> and you do I, Wordle. I do the Wordle. Nice. And I do the spelling bee. The spelling bee every day. I would like to think that I have an expansive vocabulary, but, you know, it's so frustrating. I give up after, like, the seventh word. Unpaid bill, you strike me as a person that can at least get to 15. I can. I go in on the, the this one. Yeah, I can't stop. It's just like you keep it's on. It's pretty hard today. It was hard today. There was a lot of, there was every time there's an X, what, it's what, like, what the hell is going to be? <laughs> what's the vowel for today? Well, there's a bunch of vowels. So the, it's A is the letter. What's in, in the, the middle? middle? Oh, A. Oh. Well. And wait, and y'all saying that's hard? It was like, I, I'm going to. No one's going to listen. It's like oxidation, annotation, notation, Oh, there's an X in there, too? Yeah. Oh. It was tough. During the pandemic, you'll be shocked at, you know, what you do for entertainment, especially because I was on a farm with no cable. So that's when I started my rabbit holing inside of crosswords and that sort of thing. So you're a Wordle person, too. Yeah. I started that later. I, I did that 
the spelling bee for a long time. And now, normally, around dinner time, Hillary and I will get back together, and between the two of us, we can get them all. <laughs> what? So we have a conspiracy for spelling bee. We didn't do it yesterday, and I didn't get them all yesterday either. So you like to do it at nighttime around dinner or first thing in the morning? I'm well, a first thing in the morning person. I like to do it first thing in the morning, and then whichever ones I don't have, I'll just put it away and think about it and start working. Because I, I do, I call people in the morning when I'm fresh and thoughtful, and then right. um, I'm trying to finish two books I've been working on, and it's been very frustrating. So I do that in the middle of the day. <laughs> I take time off and take a, I try to take a walk every day. My, my day is determined on if I'm able to solve Wordle. Yeah. Good day or bad day? One thing that frustrates me, the, the other day I got three of the five letters in order right. off the first word, right. which I, I put in a row. So and I got three of the first, and I got R, O, and then E. And I literally went through five permutations before I got to write one. I was going nuts. You wanted to throw your phone, right? <laughs> yeah, it was broke, I think. I think broke I was the wordle. And I went through all, you know, wrote, I don't know, all right. these other words. That's what makes you feel, you don't know what it is, dumb, unlucky, what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has a way of determining how good or rotten your day is going to be. So I try to do it now in the afternoon. So it can't spoil your morning. Yeah. yeah. You know, all right, so you walked in with uh, two albums, and being as though we're, we're jazz fanatics here at Questlove Supreme, we're, I'm curious to see what you uh, brought to the table. Why did you well, choose? This is an old Sonny Rollins album. You can see I had to tape it up. It's I see. In, That's how official it is. I had it forever. Right. And it's the first one he did on Brazilian music. I once told Rollins. Mm-hmm that I love the album he did in Harlem in uh, the late uh, 90s. He said it wasn't worth a damn. <laughs> and I said, what was the matter with it? He said, I didn't learn anything. I didn't do anything new. Mm-hmm. It, there he is, you know, at his age, and he's still, still doing things new. So this is great. What's the name of that album, Pres? It's Sonny Rollins uh, Brings... Brings the jazz new rhythm from South America. Oh, okay. Do you often get disappointed when you meet notable people that have done things amazing that you think are amazing, and then they're just dismissive of it? Like, uh, that, was, that often happens here at the show where, you know, I'll say, <laughs> oh, my God, the thing you did, and they'll just be like, eh, whatever. One of the things that I really loved when I was president is nearly anybody will come play for you. <laughs> you know, Talk about it. If you ask yeah. them. Yeah. And one day I looked up. I was sitting at my desk, and I looked up, and then we had the off, the door open to the outside, and Dave Brubeck was standing there. And he was, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, some award. Not the Kennedy Center Award. Oh, he got the National Medal of Arts that year. So I went out and shook hands with him, and um, I told him how much I liked him. And I said, you know, when I was 15 years old, you played about 70 miles from my home. So I went to your concert in Arkansas because he was friends with a guy who was a great music teacher there, a jazz fanatic. He looked at me kind of skeptically. He said, he said besides Take 5, what's your favorite? <laughs> oh, he's he one said, of those people. What's your favorite Brubeck song? I thought, oh, he's giving me... I said, Blue Rondo. He said, nobody knows that. I said, 
It's a great song. He said, hum the bridge. Oh. 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 He's wow. one of those people. Yeah. Wow. So oh. you did what? So I hum the bridge for him. <laughs> and three days later, he sent me a great autographed copy of the chart. And what? that still hangs in my music room today. Wow. Just because I knew the bridge to root from Blue Rondo. Wow. That's terrifying. Yo, like, <laughs> that's the one you know, thing you don't want. You know who does that? Like, who? Tariq does that a lot. Of course he does. Where I'll just take the compliment and be like, you know, because he'll say something obscure like, yo, man, I have a bootleg and da 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 And then Tariq's the person that actually wants evidence that mm-hmm. you really believe. And then I'm like, what if it winds up being a pie in the face moment and then you can't say it? Then how, how's the conversation go? I'm glad you knew his history. <laughs> right. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> What other records uh, did you bring in there? I got uh, Dizzy Gillespie's New Wave, which also has a couple of Brazilian songs on it, including The Morning of the Carnival from Black Orpheus, which is one of my favorite songs. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. I love Brazilian music, Mr. President. It's like my favorite. Ooh, I'm like, well, oh, let's do it. And this yeah, is... Yeah, the bridge. Oh, the bridge. No, no, I said the music, not that album. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. This is... Uh, a record of Jimmy Smith, who I think is the greatest jazz organist who ever lived. And he used to play at a place called the Cellador in Washington when I was in college. Uh-huh. So I would go and listen to him. And the first time he started playing, I thought, that organ is going to walk out of this room <laughs> all by itself. <laughs> oh, he was unbelievable. What year was this? 64, 65, something like that. And this is my favorite jazz samba Record. This is the first record done by Stan Getz and Charlie Birds oh, out of Brazil. You did it again. You did it again, Stan Getz. So when when did you fall in love with Brazilian jazz? I was interested in jazz, and I started listening to bigger jazz bands when I was six or seven years old. And my folks had a record player, and they'd go away, and I'd just get these records, just record after record, and sit there on the floor and listen to them. So it was your parents' collection. Yeah, and then I started ordering Downbeat Magazine when I was in um, grade school. Mm. And because they asked me, I started out on clarinet, and they asked me to shift to saxophone because the school needed a saxophone in the band. And I fell in love with jazz, and I started reading Downbeat. And I read it all through high school. And when I could, I'd supplement the record collection, you know. Did you have aspirations of being a professional musician, or did you just love it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would. I went to summer camp at the university, and they had some good teachers, and I would sometimes play twelve hours a day. I mean, played my gums were practically bleeding, and I loved it. But when I was sixteen, I I looked in the mirror one day, and I said. Will you ever be as good as Coltrane? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> you talked yourself. Nobody will ever be. Yeah. Crazy. How are you, the president, talking yourself out of your own dream that young? Oh, I didn't talk myself. I, I was conflicted. Okay. I I wanted to do three things in my life. I wanted to be a doctor that helped people that didn't have access to health care. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to, you know, be a rich doctor. I wanted to get out there. And, I wanted to be Paul Farmer when I grew up. I, <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a musician, and I wanted to be in politics because I could see when I was a boy how much conflict there still was in America. Uh, So I I remember it like it was yesterday. I was 16, looking in a mirror, just begun to shave, felt big. 
and the reason I ask this question is, you couldn't make a living as a jazz musician Working. in the 60s unless you did the clubs. You know, nobody had these massive record contracts. You didn't, jazz musicians didn't feel, you know, what like Kenny G later made a lot of money, you know, going around. You couldn't make a living unless you did the clubs. And so your chances of becoming addicted to drugs were roughly three times your chances of having a successful family and raising kids that were healthy. I mean, you had to, it was a big risk, as Coltrane and lots of others found out. He was a genius. Have you ever got to witness him in person? No, I never heard Coltrane in person. I do have at home an autographed album that a friend of mine found for me where he's, his face is like has gone into runny paint. It's a fa- fascinating-looking album. I never heard him. I never heard Getz. I did uh, Herb Alpert. Uh, he has Getz's last saxophone. Really? In, in a, he had it in a safe, so he sent me a note when I got elected, and he said, if you come out here, I'll let you play it. <laughs> but I never I never got to, to do it. But anyway, I just thought, that it wasn't worth the risk, and I did love it, but I I had had a sort of troubled home growing up, and I I knew I'd be disappointed in my life if I didn't, you know, have a child and do a halfway decent job of mm-hmm. <laughs> raising her. And a musician is not the, the salary that's going to happen. <laughs> you know, how old were you when you left uh, Arkansas? Like, how long did you live there before you went to college? From my birth, I was I was born in a little town in Arkansas, and then we moved to a bigger town when I was um, six, after the first grade, and I stayed there till I graduated from high school. And then I went to college in Washington for four years. Then I lived in England for two years, which was a great. What thing. part? Of, what part of England did you live in? I, li- I was in school in Oxford. Okay. So I got, I got a scholarship to go to school there, and. That was great because it was in the middle of all the Vietnam War to do, you know, and I kept waiting to be drafted every month. And I was called once, but the law allowed you to finish the year you were in if you were in school. And then the lottery came in and I got a high number. Did you go to the club scene a lot in London when you were living there? Going no, but I, I went to, like, we, we were talking about concerts I I. I tried to find whatever music I could. And I remember the most memorable one for me was when Mahalia Jackson played the Albert Hall, which is this great old Victorian venue. And, you know, the country, England was deeply divided. America was deeply divided. Everybody was upset. Kids were cynical. And all of a sudden, I go to the—but I was determined to hear Mahalia Jackson. So I I go with a friend— who knew nothing about our music. I said, you're going to love this. You'll thank me for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So we were, we got a seat, you know, pretty far back. And, but I looked around and most of the people there were young people. And she started singing. And by about the third song, half the audience was crying. Wow. I mean, she was so enormously powerful. She just was, she just radiated her Still gospel music, right? Yeah. You would not think it would be a bunch of kids going no, out to see and, a gospel and singer. Then the, at the end of the performance, they stormed the stage, and they were like seven or eight deep right around the stage, screaming like they were groupies at a, yeah, rock, at a rock concert. Show, yeah. 
and begging her to keep singing and begging her. And she sang another song or two and then finally had to leave, you know. But And she was just her standing alone on the stage, you know, the way she did. It was amazing. It was one of the most amazing concerts I ever saw. Just, she was something. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Well, I wanted to know, like, what your music experience was in Arkansas. Like, because you seem pretty open-minded to Mm -hmm. just art and all that stuff. Like, how does one do that? From in a segregated, stuff? yeah. Well, it, we weren't all the same, you know. <laughs> it's not like it even today. It's more well to the right of where it was in the 1970s. Okay. Oh wow. Most southern states are in the small towns and rural areas because of what's happened to the information ecosystem and a lot of other things. But I remember um, when I went to the Brubach concert, I was telling you about. He was friends with the band director down there who had worked with Stan Kenton. Okay. And they did all that groundbreaking musical work, you know, in the 50s. There were always chances to do that. I've Ray Charles once when he was kind of on the slow circuit oh, wow. in a little uh, venue in western Arkansas. When I was in college, I heard Ray Charles sing where Marion Anderton did in Constitution Hall. She wanted to sing in Constitution Hall. You remember that? Right, yeah. Oh, but the Daughters of... Daughters of the American Revolution Mm -hmm. drove her out. So Harold Ickes, the 
Interior Secretary mm. for Roosevelt, whose son worked for me in the White House. Okay. Amazing. He gave her the Lincoln Memorial when Marion oh, Anderson right, 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 the famous so concert. Yeah. I, when Ray Charles came in 1967, he sang in... Constitutional Hall. And I called this woman that I had just met, and on a lark, I asked her if she wanted to go to this concert. And she was about six feet tall. And we got, we could, by the time I got the tickets, we had to sit way up in the back on the second floor. And we were only, there were fewer than 10 white people there. Right. I was, yes, yes. It was unbelievable, though. I'll never forget, he played, you know, his repertoire. And he saved Georgia till near the last, and he plays the introduction on the piano and doesn't do anything. He holds it, and the crowd's, and then finally he just reaches up the microphone. He said, Georgia? Like that. Uh-huh. And, the, and the crowd went nuts. Right. Just nuts. And, it was, and I was so excited at that Ray Charles concert. I remember it was June the 24th, 1967. I still remember where it was that I stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't go to sleep, and I went out and ran three miles so I could sleep a little. <laughs> and I really? saved that ticket stub for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I kept it in my billfold. Wow. And I was so grateful that I finally got to meet him, you know, when I was president. Mm-hmm. And we became friends. And, and Quincy Jones was helpful to me because he, he was a friend of mine, and, you know, he and Charles knew each other in Seattle mm-hmm. when Quincy was 14 and Charles was 17. And Ray Charles got himself all the way from Central Florida, where he was a boy, mm-hmm. as a blind man. He was not blind in his early years, but he was blind. And he, he took a bus. He said he wanted to get as far away from Central Florida as he could without having to leave the country. <laughs> Seattle so is pretty dangerous. He <laughs> so he went to Seattle. and. Quincy said, you know, I decided I could make it in music. I mean, here's this blind guy who's 17, and he's got his own apartment. He's got three suits in the closet, and he's got a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a great story. And I genuinely came to not only admire but have enormous affection for Ray Charles. And a couple of weeks before he died, this is long after I left the White House, and I knew he was sick, his young staff person called my office and said, Ray wants to talk to President Clinton. Can you do it? And I said, sure, anytime. You know, so he called me, and I knew he was sick. And it was pretty well public by then. He didn't talk about any of that. He had no interest in talking. He said, I'm just calling a few of my friends, wow. people uh, I want to talk to, you know, one more time. And we shot the breeze for like 20 minutes. What did that feel like if, if it, you go into your younger self and realize that Ray Charles called you and, was like, yeah. and he wanted to call you before some things happened? Yeah. You know, like and he knew he was going to die. Yeah. But he didn't want to talk about that. He wanted to just talk about life with people that he had. And I, I forget, I think there were 12 or 15 people he just called that he wanted to talk to. And I always thought he was something special. 
What was the moment that you think the music community, you talked about being friends with Quincy Jones and Ray Charles, and I'm curious when they learned that you were beyond a passerby, was it was it like the sax moment on Arsenio? Arsenio. Like when did everybody <laughs> realize like he is not just a fan, he's a part of this community? Well, I got a little of that on Johnny Carson, you know, with it. Okay. Johnny Carson was I bombed at my speech at the Democratic Convention in 1988, and it, we don't have time for me to explain what happened. <laughs> I bombed, and so Carson, hence, uh, hence Dukakis. Uh, <laughs> uh, a, a woman, actually, it's very interesting. The people, this just shows you the difference in commentary. Okay. People that heard the speech on the radio were 90 percent positive about it. Because it was not interrupted. I got hundreds and hundreds of letters from people who heard it on radio. But anyway, a woman named Amy Baker, who just passed away a couple of years ago, a wonderful woman, was working for Carson. And she called a friend of mine in California and said, I think Clinton should come on the show. He said, I think Johnny would like him. And he said, he'll have to take a ribbon. They talked and they said, and he never lets politicians come on the show anymore. So we need him to play something so we can use it as an excuse. I think we played Billy Holiday's God Bless the Child and maybe Heartbreak Hotel. We played something, but I played anyway. Really? And then Carson takes out an hourglass and, you know, one of those, like, three minutes, was it, turns Seriously. it up and the sand starts running out. <laughs> and I said, well... I want to thank you for giving me a chance to come here and finish my speech. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a great time. And then I did Arsenio. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's when, so that's when that all the black viral. folks saw you. Yeah, right. So we didn't know about Carson. We yeah, just knew we totally about missed Carson. That's the first time I'm hearing about that today. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so, wait, this happened? Yeah, yeah. Then, uh, So Arsenio, you know, knew I could it was halfway be halfway decent if I played. And I wasn't playing really much then. I think we did My Funny Valentine and... Summertime, I think that's what we played. You did an Elvis song. I think you did Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah. That part I do remember on the commercial break. But... Yeah, that, well, Elvis was my Secret Service code name. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. So when did... I was running for president. and I literally could sing the Jordanaire's background to every single Elvis Presley song. I remembered long sections of dialogue from Love Me Tender and, you know, all that stuff. I, I liked him. And if you saw Baz Luhrmann's film about him, we did. one thing the film finally showed was why Presley was so close to the black community and why he deliberately sang In the Ghetto and some other songs. He didn't have much politics, but he felt pretty strongly about civil rights because he'd grown up on the edge of the black neighborhoods in Tupelo. And... Um, and he had, you know, the voice of a generation. I can't wait for you to, to see the Little Richard documentary where he, he, Little Richard says, Elvis actually told him behind the scenes that you are the, basically the reason that I am here. And Little Richard was like, well, can you say it out loud? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was great, Little Richard. I loved him. I was curious to know uh, about the Arsenio performance because this was in the 90s. So it was pre-Twitter, pre, you know, going viral, so to speak. So how did your team know, like, after that performance, what were the markers then of like, yo, we killed that? Like, how did you see the impact of it on your campaign? A lot of it was uh, like print media commentary and people calling in. Oh, wow. Calling to all your headquarters. You know, if you, 
we used to send out our idea of rapid response was we had a system. We had 10,000 people throughout the country that we sent fax machine, faxes to every day. We sent them faxes and we said, here's what we need to push today. And they would <clears throat> call their local newspapers. They would call their local radio stations and try to get the message out. Or they would write a uh, letter to their local newspapers. I mean, it seems like, seems like creaky today. That's but what it, viral was back yeah. then? Yeah, Listen Good up, kids. That's <laughs> what the 90s were like, and that wasn't so far away. Yeah. But we were, you know... We did the best we could. And, uh, you know, I think there were some good things about the 80s and the 90s. It's still most towns had their own newspaper, and they were pretty much on the level. You know, they could be in real right-wing towns or real liberal towns, but they were the newspapers pretty well on the level, and they would give you access if you showed up, and they would say what you said. And, then, and if they dumped on you, they would do it on the editorial page, they wouldn't twist the news story. It was very different than now. And almost every town of any size had their own locally owned radio station. It meant a huge difference. I mean, I might not be here if it weren't for that. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. All right, I got a question. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, again, with 24-hour, less than 24-hour warning, you don't know, like, what angle we're going to go in. And 
This brings me back to, if you remember on the internet, they started this uh, trending question, like, would you rather have half a million dollars or a dinner with Jay-Z? Right, right. What would you choose? Hmm. And Half a million, half a million dollars. dollars? Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. No, but, uh, but the thing is, is like, you know, it's, it's either, would you rather get wisdom on how to da 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 to run right. the game and create your own game. And or just, just, whatever. Just, just right. give me the money. Dude. Money. Right. Okay, but time out. <laughs> but I got it. But my, but my question. Jay-Z would tell you to take the money. Yeah, <laughs> he would. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, but, you know, since we have you here, and I feel like, at least for the five of us, and by the five of us, I also mean like the community that listens to this particular podcast. All of us, I, I feel, are either in our pivot moment in our lives or in our career. Like all of us do something notable here. Like he was part of the, the Hamilton team and, you know, he's been a longtime engineer. She's been radio host. He's been like a hero to many in the hip hop community. And now we're kind of at this place in our lives where we're sort of flirting with leadership roles. Mm. And, you know, I would like to ask you as a person who sort of volunteered for this life to be a leader and all those things, because it, it comes with a lot from what from the outside looking in or I don't know if I'm inside thinking I'm outside looking in. It seems like one, a thankless job to be a leader. And I'm not just talking about president. Let, let's take it down. Yeah. Why would you ever want to subject okay, yourself right. to having to always think quick on your feet, always having the answer, having to, whatever the metaphorical term, what, reach across the aisle to speak to someone, to nuance a relationship, to do a long dinner just for that one person, and you got to do it like a hundred times. I guess I'm basically asking is, like all of us are right now sort of at the bottom looking at whatever our, our, our Mount Fiji or whatever the mountain is that we see. Why should we want to be a leader like what is the what's the motivation, yeah, yeah, motivation what's the driving yeah. force yeah most of life is a social experiment and a social experience so if you feel strongly about something and you want to impact it your chances are much better if you can lead a pack that agrees with you and i think that's really important that all these questions no one can answer but the person affected. But I think it starts with how you keep score. I mean, we all keep score. Whether we admit or not, we keep score on ourselves. I wish I were a little taller. I wish I were a little taller. If I'd had LeBron's body, I'd have gone a different <laughs> line of work. That kind of stuff, you know. We, we do that. So if you keep score in a way that is at all other-directed, then if you get a chance to lead, you have to do it. And people won't resent you if they see that it's other-directed. I mean, to me, I decided when I got into this, I said, why are you doing this? And I realized I had to find some way of keeping score. So I keep score as follows. Are people better off when you quit than when you started? The children have a brighter future, and are things coming together instead of falling apart? And if you can answer yes to all three of those questions, I think your life's a runaway success, even if you have heartbreak, even if you fail, even if you make colossal mistakes, 
And if you make enough decisions and you live long enough, you will make mistakes. I think that's it. But if you if you keep scoring any way that is other record, you want to increase people's love for music. You want to increase people's understanding of the social impact of music. You want to get people who never thought about how America got started to see it through eyes they can feel, and you do Hamilton. You know, you did whatever it is. There's a price. You should be president. So bad news, guys. We have to care about other people and, right. <laughs> and, and not just not just ourselves. <laughs> Hang on one second. <laughs> we gotta let this go. I knew it was coming. I knew that was coming. Sorry, so go ahead, so That's my theme music when I say something brilliant. <laughs> go ahead. We didn't mean to interrupt you, Mr. President. Were you finished with your thought? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, as of this taping, you know, we lost. Uh, yeah, one of, one of the most well, crucial leaders yes. of someone that I looked up to because the you role should. that Harry Belafonte played all those things in social change, right? Yeah. You know, because I I don't want to have to like what I'm previously what I'm known for now is just like, hey, a hustler. I'll do this job and that job and this project and that project. But you know, I'm wondering like at sixty, at seventy, like what is my life going to be? And right now, I'm thinking like, okay. I want to get into philanthropy. So I'm kind of like working my behind off now <laughs> so that I can be in the position to be that person when I get to my 60s. And I, I also, I'm also trying to get out the place where like I'm writing my future down like, okay, in 10 years from now, I'm going to do that. I'm now learning a lesson where I wake up every day and just like this, like I this was definitely not on my bingo card list like at all. This conversation. But things like this have been happening to me almost consistently for the last two years where, you know, I'm such a meticulous planner and this is what I'm doing. This is how my future is going to be. And then universe like kicks over and this no, this is what you're actually going to do. So, you know, as far as Harry Belafonte is concerned, that's kind of how I thought, okay, that might be the path I go where... I plant ideas in people and then they implement these things and change happens. Be it We Are the World or the Civil Rights Movement or even Beach Street. Beach Street, I'm about to say. <laughs> right, even Beach Street. But I don't know. I just You said keeping score. And for me, keeping score means that there are two sides and you have to be a coach to do that. And the way that politics is now, it's enough to give me pause and just be like, I don't know. Let me just cut a check and hide in the woods. You know, like I've never been the hide in the woods person, but I bought a farm three years ago thinking like I need a place in the woods to hide in case the worst case scenario happens. So me personally, I'm on just on the precipice, on the line of like, ah, do I have to be that person? Do I have to be the Harry Belafonte that's no longer here? Or do I just hide behind somebody here? You do it. Like, what would you say? Because I would say you need to do a little bit of both. And I, let me explain what I mean by that. Harry Belafonte worked his way into what you might call direct action, where he's marching with Dr. King. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking, the other, I was telling Angel on the way down here today, I remember one of his earliest movies when he was still a Calypso King. Mm -hmm. And he was a beautiful man. God mm -hmm. knows he was beautiful. And so it's sort of a proto-colonial movie. I, I, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember the name of it. 
but he's a guy in the Caribbean. He's interested in what's going on in this country, mm-hmm. and this white lady sort of falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. And when they did this movie, it was a pretty brave thing to do, to deal mm-hmm. with all that. There wasn't many movies dealing with all that. So he made his statements in the movie, and it was, a, as a matter of fact, a good movie, and he did a good thing. And then he used what he had earned to start marching and getting involved with these other things and doing it. Uh, I want to say something that almost contradicts what I told you earlier. I do think you have to know how you're going to keep score. And then you lay out a plan. But people ask me all the time about how did I survive these tough campaigns or what do you do when you're president? And I remember when Hillary ran for the Senate from New York, nobody asked her or her opponent, what are you going to do when they bring down the World Trade Center? So life is always happening to you. So basically, you have to think about what you just said. And I think it's a good thing you bought a farm, by the way. But it's a... It's a <laughs> oh, I'm right next to you. Trust me. But, but, <laughs> but let's just take a politician. Say, vote for me for mayor, and I will do one, two, three. Okay, then you get in, and George Floyd gets killed on your streets. Mm. Or... You're way up north, but for the first time ever, a tornado takes out half your town because of climate change. It's moving to tornadoes north. Okay, so you say, how should I think about this? Uh, Well, first of all, you have to be heartless not to deal with what's happening that you didn't plan for. But if you don't also do what you said you would do when you ran, the people that were your most ardent supporters may feel let down, and you may feel let down. So life is a constant struggle to do what you said you'd do and what you plan to do, deal with the incoming fire that you never expected. Let me ask you a question real quick before you go. We're going to probably be playing this interview back uh, around June, which is Black Music Month. I wanted to mention this because yep. although President Carter was the first one to invite, of course, the Black Music Coalition to come to the to the White House, you, my friend, were the one who signed the, the order and invited Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Deanna Williams, the Isley Brothers to come to the White House and make it official. Can yeah. you talk about that? Yeah, I remember that. First, I wanted to do it. And secondly, it was another excuse to get people to come see me. You know, I, I, I mean, I was a huge President of Osley Brothers fan. And I love this old heart of mine. I, I get it out every now and then and just play it again. There are all these songs. You, you have songs you replay from your life, don't you? Yeah. Uh, all the time. All the time. Yeah. I live in the Daily. past. I, I think Nina Simone's I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Three is the Ooh. best recording of that song, and it's the best little-known song know. of the civil rights era. Right. And when I get really down, I just put it on and play it. But anyway, that's what I wanted to say about it. I, I, I didn't... I want to make the point I was trying to make before. How, whatever, anybody's listening to us, okay. you worry about how much money is it and what am I going to do. Mm-hmm. You People need to worry more about how am I going to do it. If you're going to keep score in terms of other people's lives and your impact on it, you have to worry as much about how you're going to do it as what you're going to do and how much money you have or don't. Beautiful. What's the stuff you listen to when you need to get up? Oh, for once in my life. Oh, really? I play Stevie Wonder Stevie for Wonder once in my time. life. Yeah. Uh, one last jazz question from me with regards to the saxophone. Oliver Nelson, are you an Oliver Nelson fan? Yes. 
so there's an album on Impulse uh, called uh, Tribute to John Fitzgerald Kennedy. I was just wondering if you've ever I heard that one. No. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, it's classic. I got a bunch of those albums. Yeah, Oliver Nelson. Pharrell Sanders, were you a fan of his as well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Free he jazz. had Arkansas connections. Yeah, he's from And Arkansas. I talked to his family when he died. You're, you're oh, reminding wow. me that I'm doing my first show in Arkansas in four days. Wow. You are? <laughs> Ever? Yeah, but the Roots have the never went to Arkansas. Arkansas ever. Wow. So there's, Where there's are you a festival. Do it? Little Rock? I think we're going to Little Rock. Yeah, there's a festival down there. So it'll be interesting to see you'll, the town. Uh, you'll like it. They'll be, that's a good town. I, I, I'm going to see it. So this. If you want to go to my library, let me know. I'll set it up. It's right there. I <laughs> might do that. Just say yes. No doubt. Just say I, yes. Now. I will absolutely do <laughs> yes. that. Wow. And there's yeah. an, uh, we just opened the new Arkansas Art Gallery, which is an old, and it's beautiful. Really? Uh-huh. And a brilliant woman architect named Jenny Gang from Chicago did it. Okay. It is a fabulous place. Wow. I shall be going there. How big is that vinyl collection? You didn't tell us. Like, how many records you got and where you keep those things? Oh, I keep them at home with my in New York. Okay. I've got probably, I've got over 100 of these in New York. Okay. But I also have that many in Arkansas. Uh, there's an apartment upstairs in the library, and I've got them there. Okay. So I I still play them. There you go. Well, sir, yeah, this could actually go on for 12 hours, mm-hmm. and we um, wouldn't care, but your people are like, nah, you got to wrap it up now. <laughs> so on behalf of uh, Fontigolo and Laia and Sugar Steve and Unpaid Bill, thank you very much, President Clinton, for uh, gracing our show. Yes. Oh, you didn't get to, hey, President, you didn't get to tell about your summer of soul. Damn, we were supposed to talk about that. That's next time. That's next time. Next time. Part two. Okay, part two. Thank you very much. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 